one. What's happening, everyone? Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As I'm always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. With me, I have Kevin Davis. He is a big-time sports better. He does a lot of sports betting for American betting experts. You may know him as Boogie Down Picks. He works for Vegas Insider, American betting experts, and the Sportsbook Review. Kevin, thanks for taking some time out of your Friday to come on and talk some sports betting with me and some sports in general. Yeah, thanks for having me, Blake. I mean, Blaine. <laughs> no worries. Starts with a B, ends with an E. Exactly. No worries. I have three first names, so it gets botched. I get called Spencer, Patrick, Blaine. It goes all the way around. <laughs> but, Kevin, I just want to get your overall input, how you got yourself into sports betting and what is your little niche to understand the game? I know it's still very difficult to figure out. I still struggle with it. So just give a little bit of background. Yeah. So uh, obviously uh, here in New Jersey, now a New Jersey resident, uh, we've only had legal sports betting since uh, May. Well, not May, uh, since the May Supreme Court decision in 2018. They developed retail sports betting in the summer and then the fall that year, uh, they went ahead with sports betting apps. Uh, so I was sports betting since slightly before that. Uh, basically, I was living in the Bronx at the time, hence Boogie Down Picks, Boogie Down Bronx, Boogie Down Picks. There's also a rap group, Boogie Down Productions, same initials. I thought it sticks. Um, I'm kind of a good self-marketer. So I was betting at the time at my barbershop. Obviously, I need to go there. So I was betting at the time at the barbershop. Uh, because it turned out that they also took sports book in the bets in the back. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. So I didn't know any Spanish, but I go on Google Translate to get my bets in. Uh, and then that's how I started discovering, you know, betting on sports games. But before that, I was, you know, betting on horses occasionally because uh, I have family that works in the racing industry. Uh, so I'm familiar with that. But horse racing betting is fun, but the house has an extremely big edge because they have to pay for all the horses. Whereas the sports books, they don't have to pay for the sporting events. People do the sporting events and then they do whatever the hell they want. Um, you know, the NBA, all the leagues, they want an integrity fee, but the sports betting operators don't need a league. They can do whatever they want. Um, you know, that's essentially was the rationale for legalizing it because people are going to bet it on it anyways. The government might as well make some money. So I come into sports betting because I previously had a career in politics. I was once an elected official in Westchester, moved to the Bronx, then I worked for the government. Um, and just like how um, the head, the guy who created the advanced baseball statistics, Bill James, was a security guard at a pork and beans factory. I went from taking 311 calls to writing about sports betting. So I write articles about sports betting and then I make, make the picks myself. So that's much different than taking complaints from inmates at Rikers Island or taking heating complaints from New York City residents. So that's why I moved. I was tired of taking the path train to New Jersey all the time. So that's why I moved here. So I can just do it in my living room. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a journey transitioning from politics to sports betting. I mean, yeah, it's much different too. Cause luckily sports betting is more analytical. Yeah. Well, politics can be analytical too, but the thing with politics is you can be right 
and have data, but people are going to ignore the data because of their opinions. Mm-hmm. But sports betting, if your data is wrong, you're going to lose money. Yeah. In the and, long run. Yeah. And for I mean, you, any idiot can make money at sports betting in the short run. Understandable. And for you, how do you approach either your stories, depending on if you're going to give a story that's uh, giving advice on games or if it's depending upon how you're going to beat the house, uh, et cetera. What's your, what's your angle that you usually try to take? So you want to look at two different things. You want to look at what you think is going to happen compared to the odds. You also want to look at the types of bets where they have a small house advantage. Uh, So in the beginning, like for example, Canadian football was one of the sports I've been in the beginning, which is a great sport, a lot of fun to watch, but because it's a novelty sport, the holds were a little bit higher than usual. You would have like minus 114 on each side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's more of a house edge to beat. You know, one great thing about the small sports is less money's being bet on it. So lines are less efficient. Um, you know, that's why people don't write about it because people aren't betting a lot of money on it and there's not a lot of interest. But if someone's an up and coming sports better, the best thing they can do is find a sport or an area of a major sport that most people don't look at and focus on that. So I look at, uh, you know, angles of the game that most people aren't looking at. Uh, You're not going to be able to win an NFL unless your angle, you have an angle. So for example, this year, um, the idea is you want to have as many sports betting accounts as possible. The shop lines have the lowest house advantage. So this year, for example, if you bet on team field goals or total field goals, and combine, for example, BetMGM, uh, the Canby book, so DraftKings, Sugar House, 888 Sport, Unibet. Bet America entered this into soon. If you combine them, you can have it where you randomly pick a side of the over/under on a field goal amount and expect to make money, even if you don't know what you're doing. Um, so Sugar House, which was one of the Canby books, I really hit hard on some of their field goal props and others. And next thing you know, they're limiting my bets and they won't tell me why. Um, and I assume that's because of that, as well as, you know, college basketball is hitting them hard on too. So they won't let me get down more than $12 in college basketball anymore on, on Sugar House for the most part. Um, why do you think, why, why would a sports book start regulating your bets? Is that just because you start to pay out more than they want you to? I mean, they're a business. They want to make money. You know, I'm a better, I want to make money. So, you know, I think from the sports big angle, they see that someone's kicking their butt and they don't want him. Now, I personally disagree with it. They should say, okay, this Kevin guy is smart. We should just copy whatever he does. Maybe set some limits that are reasonable, not like $12 and 12 cents or yeah. $2.77, like on the Giannis and Tedekumbo rebound prop. Uh, Cause I also have an NBA player prop model. Um, you know, that's the best way to do it. Say, okay, we're going to take your action. And then we're going to use it to say, okay, we're going to shift the line. Because um, really, sports books claim that they want equal action on both sides, but it's frequently lopsided. Like there's certain teams that whenever they play, they're going to get lopsidedly bet. Lakers, Brooklyn Nets, etc. I mean, the only exception to the Brooklyn Nets is if they have an injury. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, so that's one angle. I look at the most inefficient markets in terms of um, the hold. I also look at betting history. So, for example, NBA, NFL player props, I found that particularly for running backs, if you blindly bet the under just on Bovada for the last three years, um, you would have had a positive return of about 17%. And that's because running backs, A, get injured all the time. 
B, they have to share the ball with other running backs. And C, people love action. They want to see overs. So if people keep betting the over, they adjust the line. And then that's without line shopping. So you can shop for lines and get, a, you know, four or five yards, you know, there. Sometimes you can take two books. Like, let's say one player is at, most of the books have them at 83 and a half rushing yards. But you find one book that has them at 81 and a half. Find another book that has them at 88 and a half. Bet the under 88 and a half. Bet the over 81 and a half. If it doesn't fall between that range, you lose a little bit of money. If both bets win, you make a lot of money. Uh, so that's, you know, one of, that's known as middling. So that's certainly yeah. something you can do uh, with NFL player props, passing yards. Um, I'm excited for live game player prop betting. I think that's a huge opportunity. Yeah. To really cook this sports books uh, where it hurts. Like in the Super Bowl, uh, I was able to get it at the second half. Uh, Pat Mahomes, over 270 and a half passing yards, under 300 and a half passing yards, like the live line, just by shopping site to site. Uh, he was at 270 passing yards, and then he threw an interception. Uh, so that would have been an epic middle. Uh, obviously, it was a great game. Most people lost money. I can't really complain because the Super Bowl, there was t- hundreds of bets, and they found a lot of inefficiencies. Uh, so I hit those inefficiencies hard. The biggest inefficiency I found for the Super Bowl this year was on sack props uh, as well as tackle props. So, um, and know, why? Why do you? Why does? Why do you think the Super Bowl ends up putting out so many more different prop bets than in a regular game? Is that just because that's the only real thing that's being on at that moment? Yeah, they want to. People are going to watch the Super Bowl, and they're going to put a lot of money down. And these prop bets tend to have a higher hold percentage. So from their end, they're going to make more money. But you know, you look at it; they don't just focus on one thing. They're focusing on many things. So if they get one thing wrong, you hit them, you know, where they got it wrong. And then even if they got it right, what if somebody else has it wrong? And you can combine the two together and then lose money in the long run by betting both sides. So they have a tough job for the Super Bowl, certainly. Um, I think they, they probably make money on the Super Bowl. For, for, I mean, they made money this year. They, uh, they did really well because yeah. Tampa Bay won. Everyone was on the Chiefs. They and the over, money. everyone bet the over extensively heady. I think it was over 85% of the money I was reading was yeah. on the over just because everyone thought the game was going to be so close. So, you know, yeah, uh, people love betting overs. Uh, look at the player prop overs. Tampa Bay scored a ton of points. Tom Brady went under his passing yards. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. He was floating at around 302. 301 and a half passing yards up until game day. Uh, one site had him at 290 and a half. But then uh, two hours or three hours before the game, they upped him to 305 and a half. So people were pounding that over. That's why they were adjusting it. Um, and if you're a savvy better, you can get some good bets in, you know, without even like looking at the angles and coming up with models, because I have models as well. I don't have a football model. Um, you can just by going site to site and seeing the biggest differences, find the best markets to target your bets. So the best thing you can do as a sports matter is find the best markets. And then the second best thing you can do is know the sport. But most people think it's knowing the sport. And then by knowing the sport, you want to look at the key statistics. So if it's, if it's basketball, you want to look at pace and adjust yeah. everything for pace. 
at football, you want to see, you know, what happens, especially college football, what happens when the game is basically over and there's 20 minutes left on the clock? Teams are going to change their tactics. Uh, so college football, you want to see how certain teams react when they're up by 20 points. And football, what makes it a great sport to bet, but not as so good to model, is the sample sizes are small. So you're really making a determination over 16 games. It's not baseball where you have 162 games. Or even last year, you had 60 games, but that's still much more than virtually every, not virtually every sport. It's more than NFL. Yeah. Um, they play every day. Uh, it's slightly less than NBA and NHL, but you know, that's why these other sports are good. College basketball is good because you have all these teams. So you can find some outliers, especially if you college sports, if you look at the news, look to see which players are out, try and analyze, you know, their impact on the team. Look at some advanced statistics that nobody else is looking at. You don't want someone scoring a lot of points or the high field goal percentage. You want someone who has, you know, a positive uh, offensive win shares. Like, for example, Victor Oladipo right now, people think he's hot. You look at his advanced statistics and he's having one of the worst times of his career since he got to Houston. So look at the stats that matter, not the noise. Yeah. And then for for you, do you vote for like especially college basketball and college football? The momentum is such a huge part of those games. And like in college football, you could be down 20 and then you're within three, within six minutes of a game, just because of how quickly in collegiate sports momentum changes. Does that become a factor to you whatsoever either or no? I think momentum is overrated. You have a team of all these players and all these players got to do one thing or another. So there's going to be variance. There's going to be wild swings, but ultimately you put players on the field. They're all trying their best bowl games. I would say momentum may be a big deal because that's our last game of the season and not, they're not going to get yelled at by the coach in practice the next day. So they mm -hmm. stop giving a hoot. But for the most part, you put them out there, they're going to play their best. Maybe the coach will change their strategies. So you want to look for particular teams. Basketball, you want to see which teams throw the towel in or which teams say, you know what? We have this really good player, but they don't give them enough minutes. We're going to put them in the garbage time. So um, I think momentum's a little overrated. You still want to look at the fundamentals of the team. Understandable. And for you, what is your, what's the sport that you enjoy most betting on? For me, it's college football, just because that's probably the best knowledge I have. And I go way more in depth with the analytics and the statistics more than I I think that's also because I follow it a little bit more. I also write for covering college football. So what's for you, what's your, what's your go-to? Well, college football is my number two, because um, it's just hard for anyone who's really smart to beat. And it's all about reading the news and looking at trends, the right trends, not the crappy trends, yeah. such as this team covers the spread 17 to one when the coach wears purple underwear. <laughs> you want to look at something that actually ties to the result. So uh, like you want to look at this team mainly runs the ball. How is the other team on rushing defense? Um, this team runs a triple option. Have they played any triple option teams recently? Because uh, the triple option is one of those weird things where it's either a team gets it right away or a team doesn't get it right away, but they're not going to make halftime adjustments. Um, if they don't know who's getting the ball, how are they supposed to stop the person getting in the ball? Or let's say a team has an air raid off it, and the minute they step on the field, they get suffocated. 
are they going to stop getting suffocated? So college football is good because of all the research you can put in. Uh, you can look at recruiting rankings. You can look at beat reporters. But my favorite is baseball. It's not my favorite to watch. It's slow, especially when the game's out of hand. But you can quantify every player much more easily. Mm. You don't have pace. Every team has the same number of outs to win the game for the most part. Um, you have the lineup order. And you can put the players in the lineup and say, okay, you know, if this team were to put out this lineup and pitching rotation that they're pitching, putting out today, how many games will they win for the full season? What about the other team? That's how my model works. I put each player in, account for injuries, and say, okay, if this team is a 55% winning percentage team that they're fielding today, and the other team is fielding a 40% winning uh, team today, how often does the 55% winning chance team win? Uh, and then I can convert that to an odds. I compare it to the best odds available. And if I see an edge, I'll bet on it. Uh, but usually as the season goes on and I get more data, I have fewer good bets to do because everybody else has the same data and the odds are more efficient. Understandable. And but usually you, I find you... myself betting for, for underdogs because I think I'll wait for the line to shift. People keep piling on uh -huh. uh, the favorites. They want to take that Yankees minus 170. And I'm a Yankees fan, but they're terrible to bet on because they're over bet. So you usually never get a good value on them. And I hate the Red Sox and sometimes they're a good bet. Like I only care about one thing, winning bets. Yeah. And I know I've, we've worked together for American betting experts on some stuff. And for you, does it, how often do you always want to try and go for that big underdog payout, especially when the odds are really uh, substantial and it's a very good payout if you put in like plus 250 odds or better. How often do you try to go? What's your uh, approach to that? My approach is the same for every bet, whether it's an underdog or favorite. Okay. If you go on an odds calculator or you do the math in your head or on a calculator and factor in what percentage of the time does this bet need to hit for, in order for me to break even? And is the chance of this happening greater than that percentage? Mm -hmm. So, for example, let's say a team has a 40% chance of winning and they're being offered as minus 110, like toss-up. That would be a bad bet because minus 110 means their break-even odds are about 52.4%. Now, what if you have a team that you give a 55% chance of winning and they're being offered at plus 110? Then you have an edge. Yeah. Um, although you should check because that would be a little bit bigger than you should have. Because um, then there might be something statistics. that Vegas knows that you may not know at that moment, correct? Sometimes. Well, I think what Vegas knows and what the betting public knows is something else. Some people say, okay, this team has lost eight in a row and the other team has won four out of six. It doesn't matter that the, te the team with the on the losing streak has a better pitching matchup. We like the other team. You know, sometimes... And this is why I like those Asian baseball leagues, especially the uh, the Taiwanese league, mm -hmm. because for Taiwanese baseball, the relievers are so awful and the lineups are a little bit mixed. So if you can get a starter, the starters are much better than the relievers, particularly because the starters are mainly the foreign players. Mm -hmm. So if you can get a starter that pitches one or two more innings than a typical pitcher would, you know, that that gives you more of an edge when you factor in the bullpen. Yeah, so and of course the fielding is atrocious too. 
So it'd be great if I can get fielding statistics for that. MLB, I can get fielding statistics. I'm incorporating them in my model this year. Are there, uh, in, so in, in that league, is there over-unders on the errors? <laughs> uh, no, but there, there should be. Um, you know, that would probably be a heavy over it. for you then, correct? <laughs> Although um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the future of those sports now that there's other sports on. Mm-hmm. But with sports betting apps like having live video of the games – so it is a market they can cultivate for the people who want to wake and bet. Yeah. For, and then transitioning to the parlays, how often do you try to parlay? Do you avoid parlays? I know for, I know for me, I usually throw in one, maybe a week. I try to stay away from them just because of, I, I know that I'm the one that always goes like four and one, if I'm on a five parlay and then I make nothing off of it. So What's, what's your, what's your advice and approach to parlays? So my advice most of the time is not to do it, but there are some instances when you do it and it's not what you think. So the reason why parlays have a bigger house advantage than just a single bet is because every single bet that you bet on has a house advantage. Yeah. So you're taking multiple bets with an advantage, with the house advantage and multiplying it together. (laughs) So you're taking a small bet and you're increasing your volume. And that's why they have a big advantage. Yeah. So, but here's the exception to the rule. Sometimes they offer a good parlay promotion. And if you can quantify it, sometimes it's basically the same negative EV as a single bet or sometimes positive. The other instance, which you won't make much money doing, but you make make some, is a lot of these sites have pre-made parlays, are parlay, you know, pre-made parlay boosted promotions. Yeah, those so odds boosts that some of them do. Like, and then there's an injury announcement a couple hours after that. Well, they don't change the odds on the pre-made parlays. So you can put in, you know, what the changed odds are for every single leg of the parlay and say, is this, you know, different than what's being offered? And say, okay, I have an edge. Because since the injury news, it should be plus 200, but it's still plus 350. Mm-hmm. So even though that's like a $25, $50 maximum, uh, that that still would be a good play. So if you're looking to do a parlay, my best advice would be to look for ones where it was made before the odds changed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, you don't, uh, what has been the best play that you've ever had and been able to land? If you, it's up to you, if you want to talk about it, what do you mean your best bet in your opinion that you've been able to hit? My most profitable bet, my best edge. Either or, whatever, whatever you, whatever you prefer. I mean, I had an incredible pitcher strikeout prop run yet last year, uh, where I was embarrassed to put up my record because it was so insane that I thought everyone would think I was lying. <laughs> so, like that's why I don't like giving my records because if you're losing, you suck, and if you're winning, you're full of crap. So you can't win. You know, it's just, how should I say it? It is just like the Kansas City Royals, you can't win. So basically, pitcher props last year. And like you said, you want to look for a low hard market. And if you don't have that, you want to look for where there's, an, there's something that hasn't adjusted properly. So last year, the biggest thing was the starting pitchers were pitching fewer innings. So the best pitchers, they would 
set the strikeout total as if they were pitching six or seven innings, but they were going to pitch five to six. So it was set too high. But if you took the worst pitchers, they still were going to get, you know, their five innings. Um, and sometimes you can get a strikeout total of three and a half and you take the over and you hold your breath. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, one efficiency I found uh, college football this last season. I had some insane underdog money line wins like Liberty in, in the, in the first or second week or uh, Louisiana Lafayette against uh, Iowa state in the first week uh, because essentially uh, there's going to be more variants this year. I figured because of COVID. So you don't know how often these teams are practicing, how often they're tackling in practice because they have to be socially distant as well as the fact you don't have much information on these teams. So how close to a, a spread are you going to get on these couple of weeks? And then you get into November, December, where usually the college football lines are harder to beat, but you had like Big Ten, SEC, Mountain West, where you had teams that only played three or four games up until that point. So you had a small sample size, so you still had some variance. Um, but basically your best bet's always going to change because the odds are going to adapt. So your, your best bet is to say, okay, I have a theory, look at historical data, test it out. And then after you look at the historical data, say, okay, what markets are associated with my theory that have the lowest house advantage? So just in case I'm wrong, or just in case I'm average, I'm not going to lose that much money. Yeah, and then for just uh, just for the example, I know you mentioned the Louisiana Lafayette beating Iowa State. For you, did you take notice that Iowa State always starts the season relatively slow? Does that impact how much more confidence you have in that bet, or does that not really quantify into – what the bet ends up taking in? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I factored that in somewhat, but that's like misleading because you still have a small sample. Mm -hmm. But what I factored in is, sure, the Sun Belt is a worse conference than the Big 12. But I mean, the Sun Belt dominated the Big 12 this year, (laughs) ironically. But one of the teams in the Sun Belt that was going to be at the top was going to be Louisiana Lafayette. And they had a fighting chance to win. They probably weren't going to win, but they had a chance to win that was being underrated because Iowa State, Big 12 school with an NFL prospect quarterback. uh, And they're playing at Iowa State, although not in front of any fans. So, you know, that's why I'm not going to do the spread. I don't remember what it was Mm -hmm. because sometimes teams just like lay an egg and don't cover the spread or they just win. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes they'll do half a unit on the spread, half a unit on the money line. Um, like, so, you know, certainly level of competition matters in college football, but people kind of overvalue it in these non-conference matchups. Or you have a situation a lot of times where you have an awful power five team play a strong group of five team and then the awful team wins. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the games they needed to win in order to make a bowl. Because they were only going to win two conference games, so they have to go four and zero in their non-conference league. Yeah. So, because for me, when I'm diving into especially college football, I mean that's just my niche. I always try to understand what's the historical data. Some because uh, teams that finish strong, you you can almost assume that they're going to get better at the beginning of the year. So I always try to. Take notice of, hey, they're a little bit of a slow starter. 
It's happened three out of the last four years. The roster is relatively the same. So I might not take them on, take like the underdog on the spread uh, on the money line, but I would take them on the spread just because, Hey, you guys are a team that start out relatively fast. You're competitive. You're mostly competitive. Your team, usually your point differential is constituent based off of that. And then, the team that starts off slow, their point differential stays relatively closer in comparison to the spread. So those are some different ways that I look at it. I know I, so that's just my personal approach. Yeah. Which sometimes is good, but on the other hand, Arkansas state, for example, they beat Kansas state this year and Arkansas state used to be awful in non-conference play. Yeah. And then strong in Sunbelt this year, they are the opposite. They were mm-hmm. strong in the non-conference and they fell flat in the Sun Belt. So I avoided that you game. Have to be, anyway. <laughs> that that's like the problem of having such a small sample mm-hmm. of anything. Yeah. You don't know if it's like a trend or you don't know if it's just noise. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So before uh before I let you go, Kevin, I wanna ask you, why don't you talk about the class that you've actually just started up in the past couple of weeks? If you wanted to well, give like a little bit of a shout out to that. I didn't start the class, but I am doing some YouTube videos with Jason Radowitz where I go over some like sports betting tips and not like mm-hmm. tips on what games to bet, but on how to like make the picks yourself, mm-hmm. how to actually be profitable. So if you go on YouTube and subscribe to the Level Up Sports Betting channel, uh, that's where you can get more information. Yeah, Essentially, we're going at the things of how to decrease the house advantage by shopping for lines. And we go through the math, how to convert odds into a probability or how to understand what the odds mean but essentially like things that you shouldn't overlook that a lot of people do because they get overwhelmed but if you actually take the time to learn about it it's actually fairly easy it's just tedious yeah and the video and the videos are great i've watched a couple of them you guys are you two are doing great work i'm being being completely honest so you guys are doing great stuff there i mean i don't know if you have any picks for the weekend do you have any quality picks that you have for this weekend or not at the moment not the moment i'm working on uh, my baseball model so i'm gonna have some picks for sunday because okay. i have a college basketball article coming out but in the meantime i'm uh, refining my model to include fielding statistics as well as you know this year's player projections uh because pakoda the pakoda ratings came out for baseball perspective last week so i'm incorporating that in there uh there's going to be some surprises this year as there always are uh, but, you know, from what I have so far, the odds have been pretty accurate for most teams. Uh, so, you know, right now, you know, my process is I determine, you know, how many games each team should win based on how many runs each player will score and how many runs the pitchers will give up and how many runs they'll give up by fielding. Uh, do the uh, Pythagorean theorem, uh, yeah. the built chance Pythagorean theorem to determine how many games they'll win. I'll have each team's winning percentage. And then um, I you know, put in the schedule in my model uh, to say, based on their schedule, how many games should each team win? Yeah, and then so do you... That do... number, I'll compare it to the, the win-loss futures. Uh, I might even be able to derive some probabilities of winning the division from that. That's awesome. That's that's some great stuff. On And for you, do you, for your... For your rough game winnings and totals do you end up trying to simulate each game one by one or do you just try and get it more of a general number 
Uh, well, for the full season totals, um, you know, I just have like the number for each team. Okay. Um, but you know, I'll put in this team's playing. The Mets are playing, for example, the Miami Marlins X times. What percentage of the time should they win, and how many wins would that equate to? So let's say it's like four point four. Yeah. Uh, and then he add up all the numbers and say, okay, the Mets number should be this, but it's this. Uh, rather than just saying, okay, not taking into account the Mets schedule, how many games do they win? Uh, but that's tricky right now because the schedules could change. Uh, you also have to keep track of what's going to happen with the DH. I'm under the assumption that there is going to be a DH this year because the players want it. And why wouldn't the owners want it? Because let's face it, no one wants to see someone who doesn't hit, hit. They want no wants, No, Everyone's tired of the sacrifice bunt. So <laughs> If you score runs, the fans will show. And how do you score runs? Designated hitter. So it makes business sense. It makes playing sense. Uh, Cheng Ming Wan, he ruined his whole career as a pitcher because he was hitting. He mm-hmm. pulled like a leg muscle running the home. So mm-hmm. what's the point? Uh, I know there's tradition. Baseball's a little obsessed with tradition. Um, they don't like players showboating and throwing the bats. I love throwing the bats. I love people who do dances. That's one of the reasons why football is fun. Um, you know, and then pitchers, you know, well, uh, because there's so many unwritten rules. I just like the written rules. I want to see something entertaining. So I'm under the assumption that they're going to have a DH. Obviously, I can adjust it if there is going to be a pitcher hitting. Um, but we shall see. Uh, the players and the owners are going to keep fighting, and we have to keep an eye on whether there's going to be a strike eventually. Um, maybe there won't. Maybe there will. Uh, but, you know, right now there's some inefficiencies in the baseball market because the teams don't want to pay the players what players what they're worth. And the teams also can't afford to play the, pay the players what they're worth. So, you know, the players are doing the rational thing, which is trying to make the most money possible. You can't blame them. And the teams are trying to get a competitive edge over the other teams by signing them. Uh, but it's, you know, it's unsustainable for teams to win. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, for baseball to really survive, they need gambling because you don't want to wait 25 or 30 seconds between pitches. But what if you have a player prop? What if you bet on the next batter to be out or have a hit? Yeah, because there's a bunch of player props on next pitches sometimes too. Or sometimes so that would be interesting to kind of get play-by-play data, data to develop a model for baseball. Uh, live betting, that was one of the first models I created for NBA. It was simple. Say, okay, if a team is favored by four and a half points and they're down by five at halftime, what percentage of the time do they win? Or what, what should the spread be? And then compare it to what's being offered. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a do-it-yourself model. Obviously, you can be more advanced um, and give different weights based on games that are more recent or particular teams. Uh, but, you know, that's the smartest thing you can do is, A, come up with a good number. But even smarter than coming up with a good number for live betting is having eight apps open at once and going app to app on your phone and finding where the inefficiencies are. Because most of these apps copy each other, but there's not as much time to copy each other in a live bet. And you also only want to do it at, at, at a commercial break. Personally, I only like to do it at like a quarter or a half break because mm-hmm. then you have the time. Because a sports book has data feeds that are faster than TV. So they know more than you do. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it all makes it all correlates to based off of how quick and how much everything changes. Because I feel like, especially with sport with sports books, their line they try to hold a line, but then they'll jump it a lot higher than people and estimate based off of how much money is being put down or how much money hasn't been put on one side of the margin span. I think that's what people really get confused about. Sometimes they're like. Hey, this was just a 280. Why is it all the way up to like the Tom Brady bet, for example, 290? Why is it all the way? Why did it go up 15 to 20 yards in, in, a, in like a six hour stretch? So, and I think people need to try and understand hey, that means there's been a, been a lot of money put on over the 290, and so much money was put up. They're trying to see if they go up higher, will people continue to bet the over? Or will they subjugate it down and then meet a middle spot around like 295? Yeah, that happens too. Sometimes they'll say, okay, this guy's really smart. So even though most people are betting the other side than the smart guy, we're going to move it in favor of the smart guy because we trust the smart guy. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they do that too. So you have to look at both sides of the coin. Uh, these sports books will claim they want equal action, but they're gamblers too. They're just doing it with an edge. Mm, absolutely and most of them because of their marketing budgets are losing money right now anyways mm -hmm. because they're giving out free promos and running tv ads so in, in addition to actually being smart at betting you can be profitable just by you know doing low-risk bets and nothing but promos what what's your take on on pr promos from when they're offered what's your take on that do you take advantage of them or you usually shy away unless it unless it it's an advantage to you with after your uh, you go into analysis. So there's professional betters that'll say, "I never do promos because I'm a professional better," <laughs> or the, the the promos are too little money. Then there's people who are you know sharp but not professional, like me. I would say I'm sharp but not professional because I don't make my living off betting. I make my living off of writing, but I actually bet the stuff I write about. And most people who say they're going to make their money betting on sports are full of crap because you get good they get they limit you so you can't really make any money off of it anyways so let's be real um so the promos for example i'll calculate them sometime so DraftKings, they they're not offering it this season yet but they had this promo last year for certain games uh better teams money line if they score 110 points or more and they lose get it back as a free bet so i took my historical data and said, how, and, you know, did, here's how much it would pay out if they win. Here's how much it pays out if they lose. And of course, factor in um, the free bet if they lose, but score 110 more. And they took that free bet, you bet it on the spread and, you know, your expected loss from betting on the spread. And what I determined is just betting on underdogs blindly would have a positive return. So even if it was a $25 minimum, I just said, okay, I'm going to do this promo that every single underdog money line, $25. Uh, and of course it's a better return when the totals are higher and you have an underdog. Yeah. So I did that strategy and it's painful because there's one game, Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks were favored by 17 and a half or 18 and a half points, something ridiculous. Um, it was the Nets in the bubble. So they didn't have Kyrie Irving. Obviously they didn't have Kevin Durant another Kevin D they didn't have, they had like nobodies. 
Um, I don't even think Lavert played that night either. The one I, I know exactly. Lavert was talking. out. Yeah, he was not in the bubble. Um, yeah, Lavert was out injured that we. I think he got hurt in the middle, right before the playoff yeah. started. So I was like, okay, gonna do twenty five dollars Nets money line plus fourteen hundred. I think the best price was like plus fifteen or plus sixteen hundred. Actually, no, I got a plus fifteen hundred. But I could have gotten it for another site without the promo for plus sixteen hundred. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll probably get this back as a free bet. And the Bucks play relatively up tempo, but they have one of the best defense and deficiencies. So if the score gets out of hand and they put their worst players in, you know, they'll score 110. Well, to my shock, the Bucks realize they don't need to care about home field home court advantage in the playoffs because there's no fans. And the Nets players were actually trying and they I think they won by like three points and that $25 bet was you know a $375 profit so you know that's a promo it's not like the ones where deposit 100 get $100 those are the best ones um but still you know I you know was methodical I said okay I'm gonna do the formulas I'm gonna calculate how much it is but here are the promos you want to avoid. So Foxbet, for example, they'll offer a bet boost. And you look at the boosted odds. First of all, they don't even give you the option of no, usually. Nope, they don't. And then you compare their boosted odds to other people offering other ads offering odds. And it's actually not a boost. It's like this commercials where it says you can get this TV once $49.99 for $400. And yeah. they find out the target selling it for $300. So that's what Foxbet does a lot of the time. But you want to keep an eye on them. Sometimes they offer something reasonable. Um, so you want to like break down the numbers. Um, if something has a rollover requirement, like deposit $200, get $200, and you have to bet it six times to get your money, you still have an edge because you say, okay, $200, that's going to be 400 And then you multiply the 400 by six, that's 2400 On average, you lose about... Um, if you're line shopping, for example, and doing baseball, on average, you'll lose about 2%. So 2% of uh, 2,400, uh, just off the top of my head, is $48. So you're losing $48 and you're getting 200. So you would net 152. So that's a good deal. Um, but, you know, the sports books are doing this because they want to have engagement. They want to go to their shareholders and say, hey, listen, we have all these new signups. And look, these, we give these people money and then they lose it all because they're chumps. So, you know, they want you betting parlays. That's why they offer parlay promos. Yeah. Only do the parlay promos, like I said, if you have that edge where they don't change the line. Um, or I know a couple people who are sharp, believe it or not, they'll do parlays because the sportsbook thinks you thinks you aren't sharp if you do a parlay so they combine a bunch of their bets where they normally would be limited in a parlay beating the system but, the hard way but if you're you know just someone who's like looking at basic stats taking a couple seconds to look at the game don't have a model then parlays are going to lose more money because it's multiplying the edge mm-hmm. but you know for most people who are so-called recreational bettors putting twenty dollars down in a game if they do recreational betting smart and only bet $20 a game um, on money lines, let's say for baseball, 
you know, that $20 should be an expected loss of 40 cents. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty damn good entertainment for 40 cents, I would say. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you're doing the spread, you know, sometimes one site will offer minus 105 when most others are offering minus 110. Or you'll get an extra half point, which is more likely. Or sometimes a full point if they're going completely crazy. Um, and, you know, a full point in college basketball, if you get a close game, you know, could be worth about 18 cents, meaning it should be at minus 118 when it's even money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just by being smart at shopping for lines, not even being smart about the sport, uh, you can really, you know, be a dummy and not really lose that much money. Yeah, well, Kevin, I want to thank you for your time on your Friday, taking some time out of your evening to come on Final Whistle and chat it up with me. If you guys haven't yet, go follow him at Boogie Down Picks on Twitter. Be on the lookout. He's going to have a story coming out on Sunday, correct? Sunday is when you're going to have a nice Sunday it is. Sunday, he's going to have a little bit of college basketball. And if you guys are diehard baseball fans, he's working on his little setup that he's going to have for you to be able to dive deep into Major League Baseball and help you make some money. So be on the lookout. Follow him. Kevin, again, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later, Blaine. Pleasure being on. Everyone have a great day. Enjoy your weekend.